0: Straight from the cockpit It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe With the fucking pilot Ready, set, go All right, we are back in the can once again For another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void I am the fucking pilot once again And on the other line I've got somebody else to uh, talk to us About a whole bunch of different extreme sports He is a real renaissance man when it comes to that So uh, tell us, who the fuck are you? How are
1: you doing, man? My name is Ellis Dano Borbone, and I guess I am a, an extreme sports athlete, uh, mainly focusing in skydiving and, and uh, mixed martial arts and, and now climbing.
0: Mixed martial arts, climbing and skydiving, man, that is definitely a full basket right there. Um, which one came first?
1: Um... Well, the first extreme sport that came was, um, was surfing and that's what got me out into Hawaii, which you could definitely say led right into, to mixed martial arts. And the, the first thing that I, I tackled where I, I really gave up a lot of uh, stuff and, 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 sacrificed a lot was for mixed martial arts.
0: All right. So, um, you ended up, where did you start your surfing career?
1: I, I started surfing. Um, the first time I surfed was in the Gulf of Texas or the Gulf of Mexico. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, surfing with mom and dad out there. And then, uh, it led to, to California and then to Hawaii.
0: Wow. So you were chasing some big stuff. Was it, uh, what, what was your forte in surfing? Was it the little stuff or were you out riding giants?
1: Well, I mean, it, it first was just getting out in the waves and, and that was on a long board for a, a couple months. You know, I was, I, I was in trouble when I was a kid in Texas and had to, to kind of flee the area, and that just kind of threw me into the mix in Hawaii. And wow. I, I pretty much, uh, you know, all my surfing started out there in, in Hawaii, uh, seriously.
0: Well, and that's some pretty intense surfing, though. I mean, Hawaii's no joke. That's that's not exactly a great place to learn, is it? No, no, not at all. I <laughs> Men trying to learn to surf
1: in, in Hawaii can be very difficult.
0: I can imagine. Well, between the waves and, and uh, I guess, and I might be talking out of my ass because I don't know surfing that well, but I would imagine Hawaii gets pretty territorial, doesn't it?
1: Oh, yeah. It's it's super territorial, especially if, if you're, you know, white, Caucasian, or as they call it, haole out there. Right. Um but at the same time, you know, the Hawaiian spirit is definitely still alive with Aloha and, and it can chew you up and spit you out. But it's also a place that, uh, you know, if you allow yourself to learn, you can learn a lot of respect and, and, and you know, care for like family and friends and stuff like
0: that. Oh, I'd imagine. Well, now, so how did uh, how did all this transition into going from surfing, which is kind of this, you know, solo do it yourself sport to, to stepping in the octagon and, and beating the shit out of each other?
1: I had been, you know, after getting in trouble and, and getting out of jail when I was a kid and ending up in Hawaii, I felt like I was owed this, you know, big party or whatever. And, and so I, I raged for a long time, kind of drinking and and doing recreational stuff. And then I just kind of had come to like almost uh, uh, the end of my rope, watching friends travel and accomplish really cool things or what I thought was really cool, you know, like mm. um certain different locations. I kind of just started yearning for that and uh, a couple of my friends were were sober and mixed martial artists and so i started kind of following them around and hawaii is also a big you know breeding ground for mixed martial arts everyone loves uh fighting out there and stuff like that so um i got into uh to mixed martial arts that way a friend of mine i moved in with him i gave up uh, drugs women salt pepper everything that you could imagine like that and just started Focusing on mixed martial arts twenty four seven. Holy
0: shit, man! You dove in head first. That's I did. I mean, well, in the training, if you're going to be any good at mixed martial arts, you better be a badass. I mean, you'd have to have that kind of dedication, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, I mean the the training was intense. It was it was all day long, and then eating for lunch, and then you know all night long. Um, definitely one of the hardest things I've ever felt on uh, on the body next to to climbing. Um, but, uh, yeah, amazing, amazing, amazing start for me to get into, you know, like dedicating myself to extreme sports in general for sure.
0: Sure. Now, how long were you doing something or how much, how long were you doing the mixed martial arts? And, and, uh, um, did you have some proper, you know, um, title fights and stuff like this? Or,
1: I never actually fought like for, for any big titles or anything like that. Um, I think I did it for a total of, of maybe two years. And, um, I, I started off in a small gym with my buddy, uh, went to jujitsu competition, uh, that was statewide, really well known and, and, uh, respected. I ended up getting smashed in the, the gi discipline or, or branch of the competition. And okay. then when I went to the, Noki, um, part of the competition, I got third place and, you know, was able to score points on someone, win a match. And, uh, that really sparked me to, to, to dive headfirst into, a. uh, a no holds barred like pancreation tournament where I fought a uh, jujitsu uh, tournament and uh, like a, a full striking with kind of like a catcher's mask uh, type of um, tournament side by side. So like wow. I went from the jiu-jitsu match into the striking match and then won that match and then back into the to the striking match and ended up uh, winning that and uh, also suffering my first like broken foot.
0: Oh Jesus Christ, man! I mean. You know, until they were handing me the trophy. That's pretty hardcore, man. You definitely had the drive for it. I mean, in two years, I mean, you, you, you the way you said it, you made it sound like it wasn't that long, but uh, for mere mortals like me, two years of getting my ass handed to me is a long time. <laughs> I don't i don't think I'd be able to handle that, but uh, um, my bark is a lot bigger than my bite. So you, you do the mixed martial arts for a couple of years and you learn what serious hard work and hardcore training is all about. You give up... All these things that got you in a shitload of trouble when you were younger, and then you transition into to skydiving—is that what comes next?
1: Yeah, I um, I was uh, off of my first uh, cage fight, which happened in Maui. It was in the BJ Penn um, cage. There was a bunch of people there, the Tap Out crew. Wow. Um, I won that fight, it got my nose broken in like the first 15 minutes. So it was really riding a, a big high after after that. And um, came back, was at a, a kind of like an extreme sports party, met some friends there, like some girls, actually, um, surprisingly enough. Hmm. Some cute girls uh, from the skydiving place. I started talking to them. They told me, you know, if I was into mixed martial arts that I would love skydiving. It being something kind of like, you know, everyone says on their bucket list, I had to go out and try. And I, I did that the next day and instantly fell in love.
0: Wow. So you made your my- first jump in Hawaii. Yep. It's not so Perfect. Pretty damn good scenery to start out with.
1: Oh, it was amazing. And I had a few people jump out with me. One of the girls, you know, like I was saying, was there. Uh, she was a packer and she jumped out of the plane with me. So, I mean, a lot of people will, you know, do their first tandem, maybe have like camera, but I had like three people and we were all linked up <laughs> doing a round, you know, for my first jump. So I just, I remember as soon as I jumped out of the plane, was under canopy and like landing, I was like, it's already over. I want to do this again. I want to do this every single day for the rest of my life. Nice. Which, and I it's, remember to this day
0: it's pretty fucking funny because the way you tell that story is exactly the way a lot of girls tell their story about their first jump they went out they got swamped by a bunch of guys that went out and made a jump with them because they were all trying to get at them but it was you <laughs> these chicks came and scoped you from an MMA fight and were working you weren't they
1: It. it I, I mean I don't want to yeah it was it was somewhat like that oh, you're it was a, definitely
0: you're a handsome man yeah <laughs>
1: It was somewhat like that, and I was very flattered. and And it did. It was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Right. It was very amazing,
0: especially when it started out that way. All right. Well, so you make the first jump. You're you're you got hot chicks chasing you out of the airplane. I don't know who the fuck wouldn't fall in love with that shit. Uh, so you decide you're going to be a skydiver. Does it start right there? I mean, uh, how long before you were jumping on your own?
1: I, uh, well, I mean, I I didn't have any money at the time. I was working in a shrimp truck. Um, still, you know, just, uh, doing the cage fighting thing. I had one more fight on my schedule. I had said I would go do this fight in, um, the Blaisdell, which is like one of the biggest arenas in, in Hawaii. I went, fought that. I I ended up winning that fight in a TKO uh, decision in a minute and 30 seconds, like slipped the guy, suplexed him on top of his head and and mounted him and ground and pounded him. And the the ref broke it up after that. I never fought again. I immediately just dedicated myself to AFF, completed uh, like, you know, doing like one jump almost a week or two jumps a week. I got up to about 80 jumps and uh, wanted to travel and and got my passport and went to Barbados. So I didn't jump at all for like a couple months, realized you had to have like visas and stuff like that. (laughs) Uh, That was my first international travel. I was like just out there with some roster guys I had met. Awesome. I ended up uh, coming back to the United States and uh, getting uh, getting a job up in skydive Oregon uh, as a packer, and that was like my first real skydiving job, packing up there for the summer.
0: Wow! So you just after that one jump, you decided fuck it with the MMA. I mean, it sounds to me like with with that, you were you could have gone places if you had decided to stick with that.
1: It it definitely was, um, I, the guy I beat in my first fight ended up going to, to win the state title. Um, there was other guys that I was beating up were, um, we're, um, you know, like uh, top contenders and stuff. But as you were saying, it's super grueling. And with skydiving, you get like the same adrenaline rush and less broken noses, feet, and you know, my nose I got broken in my first fight. The guy flying knee me in the in the cage, and, and the the one I ended up winning. So I, I don't breathe the same since that fight.
0: Oh <laughs> man, yeah. I mean, with with skydiving, there's you can break bones now and then, but for the most part you usually walk away from, uh, you know, a year's worth of jumping with nothing more than a few sore shoulders and such. But uh, you don't get in a cage and not come out in pain. (laughs) You're going to get fucked up if you step in that cage. So I applaud the decision. But uh, was it a tough decision? I mean, did you did you have to put a lot of thought into it? Or was it just fuck it? I'm going to go be a skydiver.
1: I was like, man, I just want to jump out of a plane, grab my knees and front flip until they hit the ground. Awesome. I, I didn't want to do anything else with that. It was the easiest decision I ever made. Awesome. Best decision.
0: And it's nice when it happens like that, isn't it? When there's no real thinking about it, you're just like, fuck this. This is what I'm doing. It's so nice. It's very freeing. It is. I agree. So Completely freeing. you're now in Oregon and you're packing parachutes, which in itself is a hell of a hard job, but you're jumping out yes. of airplanes. Where do we go from there?
1: My, uh, my AFF instructor, rest in peace. His name's Ash White. Uh, Who's no longer with us. He really, when I first started jumping, he unloaded me. Of course, this was still back in the day, you know, like 11, 12 years ago almost. Mm. And uh, he had burned a bunch of DVDs of like Radix and a bunch of like base jumping footage of him in Switzerland and traveling Europe. So from the day that I started uh, jumping – I, I instantly, you know, was introduced to base jumping and, uh, that was my goal. So going to Oregon, I just wanted to get a hundred jumps because that was what they were going to, you know, allow you to do to start talking to a base jumper basically. Wow. And, uh, that's what I wanted to do is get the hundred jumps and, and do my first base jumps and, uh, just kind of, travel the world doing that, you know, something that didn't cost a lot of money, I thought in my mind, you know, and it would just really uh, be conducive to my nomadic lifestyle, you know, thus far.
0: And well, and was it uh, was it a chase for the adrenaline or was it just you found this, this, this passion in that particular part of it? Because, you know, I mean, a lot of people think that uh, people that are jumping out of airplanes or base jumping just want this, you know, never ending buzz, but it doesn't turn out to be that way for a lot of us. Um it just turns out to be fucking amazing and fun and community and all this. So for you, what, what was that the biggest draw?
1: Well the, the community was definitely there, you know, um because uh with without that I wouldn't have had the, the drive. I wouldn't have felt so welcome, you know, and and all that. And everyone that's always been involved in any of my skydiving or base jumping accomplishments are, are just some of the most amazing it, uh people. But I was actually, you could say like clickbaited into it, you know, a term <laughs> that's kind of these days. The, I can remember watching Miles D and uh, Mike Swanson and those guys doing those bass jumps off the Cadillac, and they had the killer music going to it, and they just looked like they were having so much fun. Mm. And then, uh, them you know, in Norway, it just looks so freeing. For sure. So I, the adrenaline rush, and then I think also just like the the liberty that, like, fuck you to the world, I can do whatever I want, I can jump off a cliff you know what I mean? And live and and live my life however I want to. And it is a kind big, of
0: deal. it's a big proper fuck you for sure. For sure. Well, and uh, I had somebody else that was on the podcast mention one of the coolest things uh, too about our sport is it's still so young uh, overall that you're able to, you know, see these old DVDs or in my case, old VHS tapes. And next <laughs> thing you know, you blink and you find yourself on a plane with, a, you know, what, was a, your hero a couple of years ago and next thing you know you're out doing a fucking four-way with the Flyboys. um so back in my day but it's got to be the same for you because i mean i know you went on to go pretty damn hard in the world of base jumping and you ended up jumping with all these guys that you'd been watching back at the beginning you know what was that like i mean
1: it was it, it was and it and still is amazing um to to see base jumping, you know, because I, I when I started in Hawaii, it was like uh, Miles Dasher, Mike Swanson, Jimmy Hall, you know, and all these dudes like doing some of the first, you know, even Patrick DeGayon, on mm. uh, inventing like the wingsuit out there and stuff like that, and um, and and like you said, meeting those guys was was amazing and and stuff, and um, I think also like the skydiving aspect, you know, because now I don't really even base jump that much anymore. Mm. Um, I I have my rig and stuff like that, but uh, I, I've mainly just been skydiving these days, and, and really haven't even thought about base jumping. So it's hard to say with
0: that. It seems to be with a lot of the guys that I've talked to that uh, um, maybe they never stop base jumping, but they spend a pretty limited amount of time on that razor's edge. You know, I, I had a, a couple of guys, Nick Scalabrino and Matt Munting. I'm sure you know them both. Um, yep. You know that have been doing the hardcore terrain flying, but they've kind of. They've crossed all the, all, checked all the boxes when it comes to that, and now their focus is still in the wingsuits and still a lot of base jumping, but now they're pulling away from the terrain to do other stuff. Uh, and I, I see that happening with a lot of the hardcore base jumpers. I think you finally just get to that point where you go, huh, all right, well, let's see what's next. You know, I, I don't know what comes next when you're you're literally, you know, clipping bushes with your feet as you're flying past. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, like I never got that heavy into the to, to the terrain like those those guys have been doing and stuff and, and Swanee and, and everyone else, you know. But um, the point that you did bring up that really resonates with me is something that Dukes has always said as well. You'll see because Dukes is one of the original guys I was watching as well, mm. you know, awesome, awesome bass jumper from Australia doing all the, the crazy boy shit. Um, and he, you know, you'd see him base jump and be doing just the most amazing, crazy stuff, wingsuit, all that. And then you don't see him do anything for a while. Right. You know, and he's one of those guys who I grew up and I met him in, uh, at the bridge. Funny enough, you know, I was there doing some of my first base jumps off the bridge and he shows up and I'm just like shaking in my boots, you know, (laughs) like, oh my God, it's fucking Dukes. That's fucking Dukes right there. And we do some jumps together and everything's cool. And he's like, yeah, I'm just chilling, writing my book. And then I don't see him for like years and years. And then he pops back and he, and he says the same thing, you know, it's like living on that razor's edge. You see all your friends die, you know, and then. Um, and, and it's just like, just friend after friend, it kind of, it kind of kills it. Yeah. You know? It's like no doubt next, I'd leave, you know, everyone thinking about me or my mom or my loved one. And it makes you second guess all that stuff. Sure. Um, big well, and, time.
0: And in that sport, you don't have a whole lot of room for second guessing anything. I mean, you've got to be a hundred percent sure that you can do everything you think you can do, uh, times 10, uh, you know, I actually talked to a pretty high-profile base jumper a couple of years back, and, and uh, was doing an interview for the magazine. And I asked him uh, if there was a line he wouldn't cross, and he said, "I don't know," and it makes me nervous that it doesn't make me nervous. <laughs> and I'm like, and and I, I had to scratch my head and go, "Okay, yeah, no, I feel you. It would make me nervous if that kind of shit didn't scare the piss out of me." So, yeah, I suppose that's a that's a good time to to kind of take a step back.
1: I was just going to say, yeah, and, like, and with the base jumping, you know, like I, I, I didn't get nervous. And there was a time when I was in Switzerland and me and Micah and everything were all out there jumping and uh, I almost died. You know, I forgot to get my pilot shoot out of my BOC, uh, Alexander Poli. You know, all these famous dudes were down there on the ground. They thought they were going to watch someone go in. And, you know, I continued to jump after that. And I mean I was always like it it was definitely like a learning aspect that day almost dying you know like I got about 300 feet off the ground went to go pull and there's no uh you know handle there and so I'm digging in the bottom of the BOC at 200 feet off the ground <laughs> and just you know PLFing into the ground out there in Switzerland just thought I was dead for sure and to to get up and walk away from that and then go back and do base <laughs> jumps and not even you know care like I, I obviously always check my handle now
0: Yeah no <laughs> but, shit
1: but I mean, it there's it, it's still it, it scares me that it doesn't scare me. And so now, like I kind of segue to climbing and that does scare me. Yeah. For
0: sure. yeah. yeah. We'll definitely get to. I want to dig into your head in the climbing because I agree with you. Um, I've been a long longtime skydiver and, and uh, I was a climber for a few years taught by another jumper as well. And nothing scares me more deeply and for a longer period of time than a sketchy climb fuck yeah. me. Um, when, when you realize that the only way down is up is pretty freaky. <laughs> so, uh, but back to base jumping real quick. So your first base jump, where was that at?
1: My first base jump was at Silverton antenna. It was a legal base jump. Um, and, uh, me and a, a buddy climbed up it, um, around 500 feet and he PCA'd me, he pilot shoot assist me off of this thing in the, in the middle of the night is scariest thing I ever did. First time I ever told myself, am I really this
0: bored? Yeah. Like, what am I doing? That, uh, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that don't base jump or don't skydive that have to be wondering how bad are these people's lives that they're going and doing this shit. And. I mean, that's it's a pretty valid question. If you don't understand the mentality, it's yeah, that's some pretty intense shit. I mean, and and to to go back to your your near death experience uh, with the the low pole, man, that story is infamous in base jumping. I've heard that many times, dude. <laughs> there were quite a few people that were watching that jump. Um, oh, dude, do you look back on that jump now and get the cold shivers?
1: Um. You know, I don't. I don't. I just, uh, I remember it clear as day. I remember everything that happened, you know, the order that it happened in. And I remember reaching for my handle, landing, I mean, uh, reaching for my handle, it not being there. First thing in my head, fuck Micah, fuck you. And then, you know, obviously remembering him and I having the conversation at the exit point, knowing exactly where my handle is reaching for it, ripping, hoping I don't die.
0: Sure. Now for those that, uh, that have not heard the story, uh, what was the conversation that happened at the exit point?
1: <laughs> so me and my, you know, brother in arms, Micah, rest in peace, we're, uh, we had just done a jump off of a, a famous uh, place called Via Ferrata in Switzerland, and uh, Micah had to pull high above a talus. I I jumped off after him, cleared the talus, cleared this cliff. We had to fly past and landed and was – you know we continued to have – we started to have a conversation like, oh my god, that was close. You're so lucky. Mm. He said – you know he meant to do it. We packed up, went to our – went up. For our last jump off a place called High Ultimate, and this is a spot where you have to run, and the the mountain doesn't you know like curve in. it's not overhanging, mm. it's, it's underhanging. So you got to run, jump, and continue to like with that forward speed, clear cliff. We were all you know a little bit scared. Hmm. Uh, we were with Australian friends, and up there on the uh, the cliffside, Micah sees that I'm getting ready to put on my rig, and I haven't checked my my handle to deploy my my parachute. It's kind of like hidden and tucked away to where I can't get it. Mm. He proceeds to tell me, You better check your your shit, bro. You're not a, uh, you know, you're not ready to go. And I look him in the eyes and I go, look, I'm checking McChexter. All right. I always check my handles. And me and him start bantering back and forth. And I'm telling him, you know, like, whatever, bro, just cause you almost died doesn't mean I'm gonna die. And I, you know, tell him, I'll go first. Come on, bro. I look at the other Australian guy, I was like, You ready to go? I'll do the count. Ready, steady, spaghetti, mucho,
0: bass. Oh, no. <laughs>
1: just, didn't have a handle ready, thinking I'm hot shit, you know, and just tracking. Luckily, I had, I had had a snivel earlier in that trip, so I was aiming to pull high already. And I think that's the only reason that my my life was saved is that I had already had something that had me kind of thinking, you know, even though I hadn't checked my handle, I was worried about pulling high, went to go pull, had that extra second or so, whatever it was, and uh, was able to, to to deploy the parachute wow man know.
0: fucking hell you know i just talked to uh to mike and matt from squirrel suits and uh they said something that they're actually the first base jumpers that i've heard uh, say it they're like uh, base jumpers don't like to admit this but there absolutely is a good amount of luck in our sport and anybody that doesn't yep. say that luck plays a part is is foolish and they're right, you know, that's that's just some blind fucking luck that uh, um, you had planned to pull a little bit higher that you managed to get that thing out at the last second. That Micah's words were probably ringing in your ears as you're digging for that. Oh my God, dude! I bet he yeah. He, he didn't let you live that down, did he?
1: He did not. No one, no one really has ever let me live that down. <laughs> I bumped into someone a month ago out in Hawaii, uh, Carson Klein, and he was like, I was on the cliff. <laughs> he and he, Alvarez were training for China, and they were all on the ground. You know, Carlos, uh, Pedro, for, and all those guys. Yeah, it was – I'll never forget it. Fucking hell, never
0: man. Fucking hell. Well, hey, I mean, uh, you've, you got the story, and you managed to walk away from that one, luckily enough. Now, I want to talk about another base jump as well because on a previous podcast, I had uh, young Mr. Jarrett Martin on. Uh, and uh, he and I talked about his base jumping experiences, and you uh, figure prominently in uh, one of the two pictures of him that I saw before he and I had ever met that fucking blew me away. And in the order that I saw them was uh, him having just stepped off or jumped off of the cliff with his wheelchair sitting behind um, on the cliff, and then the next picture I saw was him uh, in your arms backwards smiling at the camera. (laughs) Fucking Epic shot, epic shot, and the funny thing is, I didn't know it then. um, When I saw the picture, I didn't realize he was paraplegic. You look like you were working really hard, and he has the most serene, calm, relaxed look on his face. Like, yep, see ya. (laughs) What? what, All right. So, and even he said it in the interview. He's like, at one point, I had to think, do these fucking guys know I'm in a wheelchair? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so, right? So wh- right, yeah. what was going on? You guys, uh, how did you guys get up there? How did you decide you're going to pick Jared up out of his chair and run and jump off of this cliff?
1: Well, I mean, it, it all started first with with Jared. I mean, that guy's an inspiration. If you don't know his story, check him out. Jared Martin, you know what I mean? He's, he's the man, mm. the real deal. And uh, it was it was planned to be his first terminal base jump since his ac- accident. He was a young skydiver, really accomplished already at a super young age. Had a horrific accident out in Hawaii, um, you know, uh, became a paraplegic and didn't stop. Kept skydiving, um, kept learning rigging and stuff like that, and 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 still had a, a you know yearning for base jumping. So he had done a base jump and the Norwegian heli boogie out in. Huh. in uh, you know, and what do you call it? Um, Shirag was going on to where they're sending helicopters up for three days out of the year and he wanted to go. Really awesome guy, uh, Nasser Al-Niadi, heard about it, you know, from Skydive Dubai. Mm. And those guys uh, said, hey, let's send him out there. We want to pay for his trip. He had already paid for the trip himself. He was already going to do it himself. They heard about it, wanted to help him out, and paid for me to go along uh, with him so I could help, you know, chaperone him and make sure everything went good. And, and I mean, that's where it all started was uh, with Jared and those guys. Yeah,
0: It's, you know, it's funny because a, a non Base jumper non-skydivers would think that taking a paraplegic in a wheelchair up on top of a cliff and jumping off has got to be the most irresponsible, crazy, stupidest thing they could possibly think of. Whereas you and I and anybody that knows the sport thinks it's fucking amazing. Absolutely wonderful. But were there doubts? Was anybody, I mean, because the way that Jarrett tells the story, y'all just went up and started just hucking it. (laughs)
1: I mean, honestly, we did we <laughs> we um, we, you know, using our bait. I mean, we had some really awesome base jumpers out there. The The whole crew for the Shirag event, you know, and the heli boogie are all like super experienced guys. And uh, I mean, but, but for the most part, we just said, hey, this is our experience We're you know, we got all this skydiving. We got a bunch of base jumping experience and stuff. And we got Jared, you know, and he wants to go off the cliffs. So let's just make it happen. Let's do whatever it takes. And, I mean, that's that's what happened. Everyone pulled together. You know, I went and did a, a jump, kind of scoped the area out, got a feeling for it. Um, next day, we started hitting it hard, and everyone just pitched in, you know, getting Jared across. Because, I mean, the helicopter is dropping you off, like, almost uh, 20, 30 minutes, a normal walk
0: oh, from wow.
1: the, the – the- the side of the cliff where you need to jump and then you know you you stack on top of that we got Jared and we got to get him across we got to get all the gear across and it's not walking across a, a flat surface there's chasms that go for hundreds and hundreds of feet you know where if you drop in those things you're gone and so it was. It was definitely a, a physical uh, on taking and stuff, but um, everyone pulled. It. Yeah, it was just amazing.
0: Well, and, and, and like I told him, the the photo that I saw of him doing the jump with the wheelchair still sitting on the on the cliff, and I believe Max took that picture, uh, and then yep. the, the one of you two going off. The, those are extremely inspiring pictures. I don't care who you are, you can't l- not look at those pictures and go whoa. You know, that's, that's some serious spirit right there. And I get it. I mean, I know Jarrett and I know you. You guys are both fucking epic, you know, and want to go do these big things. But to, to somebody that doesn't know you guys, it's even more, holy shit, what kind of drive does it take to do that? So now you, you do all the base jumping and uh, um, that was your main focus for a long time. But you became an extremely accomplished skydiver and uh, you were on a team that uh, was kind of breaking ground all over the place for a while.
1: Yeah, Team Maktoum. um out in, uh, out at Skydive Dubai, we were, uh, I mean, I just got so lucky enough to, to even be put in that situation. You know, I only had 100 jumps and, and got out there, and the prince saw my um, my cage fighting uh, videos from Hawaii and, and just really took a liking to me, took me under his wing and allowed me to uh, receive the training and all of us, you know, the logistical stuff to, to really, you know, break that ground in, in skydiving and take a bunch of stuff that was only being done in the tunnel to, to the air. To the sky,
0: well, and you guys definitely did too. I mean, I, I've the videos and stuff of, of the flying that Maktoum was doing was just absolutely insane, and uh, of course, that's led down some really crazy roads for all the people that were in that. I mean, the Wittenbergs being a big example of that, uh, those, oh, yeah, I mean, that must have been really cool too. Just to having that experience with uh, such a great group of people had to be just super fun.
1: It, it was it was super fun and but it, you know I think one of the biggest lessons that it, it taught me is that the grass is almost always greener on the other side. Mm. I think that was a, a big lesson for me because, um, unlike everyone else that was in that experience, you know, a lot of them already had it, like a couple years in skydiving and had already gone through some of the. You know, skydiving is not easy, and to get somewhere in skydiving is just not easy. And like you were saying earlier with the base jump and then the luck, I think I was definitely one of the luckier people to just pop on the scene in Skydive Dubai with a hundred jumps. You know, and then within two years to be able to join that, that team was, was definitely amazing. Mm. But then like, as you say, like, it really makes you like, also kind of like, oh, what's next? What's next?
0: Oh, it would have to. I mean, well, but y- you ended up at the top of the pyramid so damn quick. Do you think that that was a uh, kind of a bit of a burnout for you?
1: Yeah, I would say uh, for sure. And then also, like, I wasn't a good person either. You know, I was, I was drinking a bunch back then and stuff. Yeah, it just, I think it was, it was definitely a burnout for me, you know, personally. Um, But like you say, uh, it led to a lot of other awesome stuff for me as well for a lot of other people, you know. Um, I think with anything, it's all about the lesson. You know, you can you can get down on stuff, but if you as long as you're like thinking about it as a lesson, like how can I turn this into an improvement for my life, you know, so I can move forward. Sure. I think that's the.
0: Well, and so you you take all these lessons and uh, you've gone through hardcore MMA stuff. You two years of that and walk away from it in the blink of an eye because a couple of cute chicks drag you out of an airplane. (laughs) <laughs> then you become a base jumper in the thick of things with the people that you were watching on uh, DVDs not, you know, too much earlier before and doing these epic jumps. Uh, you go through the whole skydiving realm, but now you find yourself up on the rock. So now how did that happen?
1: Well I, I got I got a little bit burnt out when I was, you know, doing the, the mock tomb thing and stuff like that, was kind of looking, searching for something that was gonna be next. I really started to uh, to lean towards base jumping and um move back to the United States. Ended up in Sebastian, Florida, funny funny enough, one of the flattest areas in America, and uh, was going to pr- be pursuing wingsuiting and base jumping, was going to start a school and stuff. And that was the, um, the after school, you know, fun thing for everyone at the drop zone was to either slackline or head down to the local gym, to the climbing gym. Cool. And- uh, that's, you know, I just said, oh, I'm going to try this out. Showed up first day there, bought three month, uh you know, membership, got the shoes, got the chalk bag, got the harness and said, all right, let's give it a try.
0: Sure. So do you, do you think, because um, the way that you tell every story is you pretty much dive in head first with everything you try. Uh, would you describe yourself as having a bit of an addictive personality?
1: I think that is probably one <laughs> of the only ways. I mean, honestly is to an incredibly addictive personality but
0: it sounds to me like I mean you''ve you've, you, you've already said you've you've had your bouts of addiction with uh, alcohol and recreational stuff as well but it sounds to me like you uh, you can have these addictions for the really cool things as well and the ones that aren't so destructive and rock climbing most certainly is super healthy I mean my god you must be in incredible shape now if, if you're doing the kind of climbing I think you're doing
1: um well, I mean, I, I just recently moved out to Hawaii and was um, doing got back into some more skydiving work. so I, I definitely got a little bit, as we would say, climber fat. but right now I'm currently in Austin, Texas, um, training at a gym every day, I'm trying to do like around four hundred feet of uh, crack climbing and uh, mixed climbing added on to that, uh, getting ready for some some big climbs. So yeah, I mean, definitely definitely healthy, nice, healthy sport. Well, I was
0: gonna ask, uh, have you got some specific climbing goals in mind?
1: One, I mean, my biggest goal right now is, is, uh, to climb Castleton, uh, desert tower out in the uh, Moab, Utah. Okay. Uh- I mean, I, I definitely would love to get on some some El Cap and get into the to the meadow and, and see that place because, you know, in, in climbing history and in climbing in general, it's like the holy grail of, of climbing. But I've also been really sparked to uh, to get out into to Patagonia area as well. I mean, the uh, the more mountaineering, like heavy, hardcore stuff definitely attracts me.
0: So you're thinking more uh, alpine type stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would, I would love to mix the, the alpine and the base jumping, you know, um, together to, to get up some – to forge some some new paths up some mountains that, you know, haven't been even explored yet up like in, in Canada or something like that I think would be really fun. Sure.
0: Well, who was it I saw um... – combined base jumping and climbing, uh, in, uh, in Yosemite, I think it was Dean Potter was free soloing yeah. something and made it about halfway up and then peeled off the rock. But of course he had his base rig on. So I think he was intentionally climbing a lot harder than he would have had he not had that. At least I hope.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Free basing. Free basing free, is what he called it. Free
0: basing. That's fine. <laughs> oh. It's pretty fucking Sick, crazy. Man. Have you seen uh, Have you seen the uh, the Oscar winning uh, um, uh, solo climb? The oh yeah, free solo, uh, free with, solo. With yeah, man. What'd you think of that?
1: Oh, dude, one of the first. I mean, not. I wouldn't say the first, but definitely got my palms sweating on some of those things.
0: Right. I, I mean, I
1: think you could never have climbed in your life, and it would be definitely you know a crazy movie to watch and get you scared. But being a climber makes it even more scarier. Oh, it has I to. Mean,
0: Fuck. Well, one of the craziest parts about watching that whole thing wasn't watching his climb. And y- you're right, my palms are sweating as I'm watching it. And I'd already seen the pictures of him picking up his Oscar, so I know this fucking guy's not dead. He's gonna, <laughs> he's gonna make it. And I'm still freaking out. But my reaction was even more so to his friends that were filming. That the, especially the one guy on the ground that couldn't even watch as he was trying to go through that really fucking thin area. And oh yeah. Yeah. And you're you're watching him just just melt down because he knows what his buddy's doing. Fuck me. So intense. So intense.
1: Oh, and thinking about it's getting. Oh, yeah. Getting going. Oh, yeah.
0: You know, it takes me back to a, a, a climb that I did uh, years and years and years ago with a, a skydiver base jumper rock climber, a guy that taught me how to climb out in Vegas uh, by the name of Kevin Love. Uh, and Kevin and I would climb a lot of the stuff out in Red Rock in Vegas, but it was always just pre-bolted sport routes. So, you know, one, one pitch and you're back down. Uh, and the only time I'd ever done any trad climbing was with him as well. And it was on a route called olive oil on the other side of the valley. And, uh, we're about, I don't know, two pitches in and all of a sudden he's got the guidebook out of his little pack and I'm looking at him and. And he's like, uh, no, no, we're okay. And I'm like, what do do you mean we're okay? Uh, What the (laughs) fuck? And he's like, well, I'm not really sure we're still on the route. (laughs) What? And that's when that whole the only way down is up thing came into play. And I'm like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? And I was, you know, at best a 5'10C climber steadily. And I'm looking up at this face going, this could easily get way past me. Luckily we were still on the route, but fuck me, talk about scary. I'm sure you've had a few experiences like that by now.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, (laughs) that's, that's still, that's so funny. I'm laughing at that right now (laughs) because I've like almost all of my climbing experience. (laughs) I might go outdoor, I'm busting out the guidebook or trying to pull up, you know, something from the internet I've copy pasted, you know, and stuff like that. Um, I mean like those are my stories even trying to get to the climb like oh dude you know going over some sketchy terrain just trying to get to the climb sure um yeah i mean uh it, my 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 stories definitely start with the castleton it was my biggest uh, attempt at climbing um and i also and it was also the worst cuz you know we got shut down i mean i don't know if you say the worst but yeah we got halfway up the climb um, I was about 40 feet up without any protection, trying to uh, to protect this uh, this big chimney off with with a, um, a cam that was too small. And uh, mm. I had the wrong shoes. It was super cold. We were in, we were out of the sun for for hours and hours and hours. And I was just like, I don't think I can do this. I don't want to, you know, fall and land on my friends and hurt them. And then we're all dangling from the ledge. So I told my buddy, I was like, I I don't know if I can do this. You want to give it a try? And he's like, maybe it's in your head and I'll give it a try. He got up there, same spot as me, about 30, 40 feet above without any protection, you know, and and he couldn't find a way to protect it. So he conceded as well. And then we're trying to down climb it, and our rope isn't touching the ground. So we gotta uh, somehow, you know, anchor in and, and reset anchors. And we're dangling. There's another party coming up at us, and we're bantering back and forth, slash getting owned, you know, just like donking and and uh, yeah,
0: got completely shut down. Wow, I was up there
1: for like hours, and uh, you know, nothing went away with nothing. Wow. So I
0: think. You made the right call, though. I mean, fuck, you're 40 feet up above your last protection. Man, that's that's a fu- almost a full-length, uh, full-rope-length whipper.
1: I know, dude. I was scared. And you're only going to hit a, a ledge where your belay partner's at and then just dangle pat- and then go 40 feet past that.
0: <laughs> I mean, Four that's the, the rope is basically just something to tangle you up before you hit the ground.
1: Oh, yeah, snap your snap your wrist or your ankle oh, or something like
0: that. I'd say you made the right decision. Although, uh, yeah, that's that's a long way above your last piece of protection for sure. I mean, you
1: live to fight another day, you know, and it's definitely motivated me. Like right now, it's the only thing that's on my mind. I was out there and I got my. Um, I went to another spot called Indian Creek and was able to on-site my first trad crack. And uh, had Micah's Ashes with me, you know, got to the top of the climb and was able to spread some and stuff. And just an, an amazing experience with it uh, uh, climbing, you know, testing everything your mental, your physical strength, combining it in such a beautiful dance up the rock, you know. It's just.
0: Oh, absolutely. So it's. Well, and it's, it's the only other sport personally that I've ever done that's had me as in the moment as skydiving has. Because, um, you know, skydiving, same thing. As soon as you let go of the airplane, nothing exists but what's going on in that skydive. But even after a while with all the jumps you do over all the years, sometimes stuff will start to creep in. But when it comes to climbing, there's nothing but you, the rock, the rope, and the protection. Yeah. That's it, man. That's intense. And I don't think people understand just how super intense it is, which is, again, why I could sit down and watch that documentary and almost shit my pants watching someone else climbing on a TV. It's crazy. Well, so so what comes next? You got some big climbs, and, and but you're still jumping pretty actively, yeah?
1: Yep. I'm still jumping pretty actively. I, I still have my base rig. Um, that's definitely, I still have a wingsuit, you know, and all that type of stuff. So that's definitely on the mind as well. I want to get out to, to Europe possibly in the next couple months. But um, right now, as far as climbing, I'm on a 30-day trip. There's a, a gym I'm going to, Crux, here in Austin. They got amazing facilities there. They got a, a big crack they just set up with a, a bunch of you know different width variations and stuff. So I'm just training, getting ready for Castleton. And I got another buddy that is has uh, got a bunch of stuff we're going to do up in, in Colorado. And I don't know. I mean, basically, living like a dirtbag is what's next for me. Yeah, but <laughs> that's
0: what an epic fucking way to live. I mean, it sounds to me like you've been on this ride. In one variation or another, for a very, very long time. I mean, how old were you when you started the MMA stuff?
1: I was uh, in my twenties, early
0: twenties. So you know, in like twenty-four. So 10. in your teens, you were in all kinds of trouble. Yep, I was in. I was. Well, I yeah, I was in trouble. Basically, all kinds of trouble in your teens. You get out of that, and you go to MMA, and and through all this. Well, how old are you now?
1: Now I'll be thirty-seven in April, so I'm thirty-six
0: right now. Thirty-six years old, but I bet you still feel eighteen, don't you?
1: Yeah, somewhat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just a, I mean, a few more aches and pains, I'm guessing.
1: A few more aches and pains for sure, but I, I would definitely say for for my lifestyle, the the life that I've lived so far. You know, I've, I've rode the ambulance a bunch of times in Dubai and out there learning, you know, um, extreme canopy piloting and stuff like that, and and so I would say for for what I've done and and uh, and what I've gotten hurt, I've, I'm definitely doing good. I feel young. I feel ready to go. I feel you know, like a goat on the side of the mountain.
0: Fair enough. Well, I mean, I'm older than you and, and God knows I've got my fair share of aches and pains, but I still feel like a teenager most days. I still want to do all the same stupid shit that I've always done. I just take it a little bit slower. (laughs) I just, I don't dive in quite as fast. That's all. So, um, how about the rest of the life, Uh, um, significant other these days or you running solo?
1: Running solo, um, as of recently and, uh, plan to kind of hopefully try to keep it that way. I don't know. You know, just I get so caught up in in because I think with our lifestyle, I have like these inner battles of like, am I being too selfish? You know, like when I do meet someone special and, you know, I do meet just on this journey, so many awesome people, you know, like I connect with everyone and then you, you meet someone special and and you try to give yourself, but then you're not focusing on the climate. You know, you're not focusing on that, that thing that kind of makes you who you are, you know? So I, I keep getting caught up in this kind of like dual lifestyle of like, who am I?
0: Well, yeah, you know, cause like, it's tough to figure out which one you want. Cause everybody likes to cuddle up on the couch and watch a shitty movie, but not everybody likes to go, you know, do some badass climb or crazy base jumper or, or skydive their asses off. And a lot of people can't cope with the dedication that people can put into it.
1: Yeah. And, and like what it takes, you know, like to go do those badass climbs, you know, you're shitting in a bag, you're, you know, you're camping out in Moab, it's freezing, you can't feel your toes, you're eating, you know, um, you know, ramen or whatever it is. So you can afford the, the, the trip because no one's sponsoring you to do any of this stuff. Mm. You know what I mean? Like. I would say like 90 percent of climbers and base jumpers out there, even the ones who are big time sponsored are getting like, what, a free suit? You know, you still got to pay for all your airfare. Your food is so expensive, when, especially when you're traveling like somewhere like Europe, you know. And uh, so you just – yeah, like you said, it's like it's hard for someone to understand that who wants to worry about, uh, you know,
0: yeah owning a house. Well, and, like- and I think even if uh, um, even if you've got somebody that understands the passion, they're not necessarily going to want to share in all that misery that goes along with the, you know, the, the the payoff that they may or may not get. That was another part of uh, of Alex's uh, um, uh, free solo that blew me away was his girlfriend's uh, willingness to stand by him. And there are not that many women out there like that. No.
1: There isn't, you know, and that's his. He's he's done a few of these climbs, you know. That he has a few movies out, and he's had like two different girlfriends in the in the previous movies, right? You know, it was something that I noticed, and I thought was very interesting because in in the past movies they've kind of you know shown, oh, this is Honnold, he's living in a van and he has a girlfriend, you know. Right. But this movie, um, and you know the fact that he got injured twice with her, right? You know. Before the climb, which was like super crazy, a lot of his friends mentioned it, you know, and now he's going for this climb and he's involved in a relationship like that. That kind of blew my mind because I'm thinking of, you know, putting myself in his shoes like, well, I don't even know if I could do that. Put someone through that stress, you know, one of my re- a couple of my recent uh, relationships stressed out constantly, you know, even about just my friends doing crazy stuff let alone me doing crazy stuff, talking about doing crazy stuff.
0: Yeah, I've had blowback like that as well, and I've I've always lived a very mellow life when it comes to extreme sports. I mean, a non-skydiver thinks I'm batshit crazy, but as far as the skydiving and base jumping community goes, I'm a very mellow guy. Uh, I'm super, super safe, but – you to a woofo somebody that's never made a jump and never done anything extreme, they can't cope with it. And then, of course, they have to hear the stories. As You've been in the sport as long as I have. You're going to lose your fair share of friends. And unfortunately, I certainly have. And they only want to hear those stories so many times. And they don't, you know, as soon as you're in a bad mood and they can't quite figure out why and you have to tell them you lost another friend, well, then they're just, you know, staring at you going, you need to stop this shit. And yeah. it's the same for you as it is for me. If I stop jumping now, if I stop doing anything extreme, uh, my entire life is tied up in friendships that were formed in this sport. So I'm going to continue to lose friends my entire life, whether I jump or not. You know, so uh, why would I, you know, give that up? And and they have a very difficult time understanding that. There's very few people that can handle it.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I fully agree with <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah. So it's a place to, to be put you know at the end of the day because you know like we're just we're just riders living on a, a, a you know sailboat on the middle of the ocean yeah you know we're just like we're doing our thing you know and this is what makes us happy. And then you take that away and then you're not happy, but you, you know, you want to, you also want to engage in these relationships and stuff and you're just, yeah, you're left with a a hard boat to pull.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Well, so what do you think, I mean, what is it that drives you or can you even nail it down that drives you to do these things? Is there, is there a quality that you think you have that uh, makes you lean towards this stuff or is it just indefinable?
1: I mean, it's, uh, it's just who I am, honestly. Uh, you know, I grew up in, in, in the Austin, Texas area. I was labeled, uh, learning disabled at a very young age, ADHD, ADD. You know, I, I, nowadays we're learning that, you know, uh, our education system could be vastly improved, you know, not just with wages for, for teachers and stuff, but curriculum, mm. you know, like, and I kind of was, a. a, a self-proclaimed blowback of that, you know, I didn't fit in at the normal, you know, Teaching regiment and stuff like that and that caused me to be a rebel and I rebelled against school and everything else You know, I didn't go to college. I didn't want to do all that type of stuff I didn't think that you know, it, it didn't have any value in my eyes at all and it's only these things You know that I really value that I cherish like these moments that like you're saying the community these moments you have on the cliff side You know, uh, you know making these long like uh, lifelong, you know friends mm. before you jump and stuff like that. And in and, and those moments, like I can't think of anything else that would be as good. You know, I could never I could never work in an office. No, God,
0: now. no. Well, I couldn't see you in an office. There's no fucking way.
1: You know, I I would go crazy. I, I would go crazy. And then people would look at me like I'm some lunatic,
0: right? Which they do anyway. But at least you're a lunatic having fun.
1: I'm, and I'm happy with
0: that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, no, no. I've never done anything to dispel the myth that that uh, I and my kind are a little crazy. Just because. Fuck you. Think whatever you want. Yeah. So uh, even doing all these things though, and now you've been in the sport a long time, and because you've pushed the limits so hard, you've lost more than your fair share of friends as well. Uh, has that ever slowed you down? Uh, have you ever thought, you know, something? This is that's enough. Um,
1: man, I, I remember. Well, I mean, for me, I, unfortunately, I've lost friends even before skydiving. I lost a, a really close friend of mine uh, in high school. She was uh, she graduated a year early, went down to A and M, you know, which is a really prestigious school. She got out a year early so she could go to school during the summertime. Came to visit me for her birthday. Was driving back to school and got uh, she was in a brand new Camaro, sitting low, so she couldn't see over the guardrail. Pulled out, you know, over like an overpass to get onto a highway, yeah. and just got side side swipe 70 miles an hour killed her instantly you know and then i had another best friend in hawaii we were swimming at this uh jump rock in waimea bay he jumped off another guy was leaving the rock at the same time landed on him as he was coming out of the water and that was my best friend for four years and he's in a coma for two two weeks three weeks and then they had to pull the plug and he died in my arms and i'm like singing singing rap songs to him and stuff like that and so I, I, you know, and then you get in, I get into skydiving, my AFF instructor, Ash, he died two days after I left, you know, Micah, Polly, you know, you just, you start to to name people and it's like, I don't know, you, you kind of get numb, but I think with, with Micah, it hit home so hard with me that, you know, I haven't, I haven't really done a base jump since. Mm. Yeah, well, I think you he, know, he,
0: hit, he hit home with know. a lot of fucking people. Um, uh, everybody remembers certain, you know, certain events And uh, I, along with literally hundreds and hundreds of people, know exactly where I was and what was going on when I found out, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, well, and 10 times for you, because Micah was a friend of mine, but, uh, um, you know, you guys were a band of brothers. So it's, that's, that's, that's something, uh, uh, you're not the first person that's had to take a step back because of that. And... I suppose maybe that's one of the, one of the um, shining lights to, uh, to something like that is that um, a few people are, that I really care about are evaluating a little bit more the safety, which for me, a non-base jumper makes me happy that, that I've got other friends that are taking a step back.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree with that as well. Like I said, I still have my wingsuit. I still have my base, you know, because at, at the end of the day, Michael was my brother. He, uh, you know, and he was someone who I, I will always hold dear and cherish for the rest of my life. And I know he wouldn't want me to stop jumping, you know, oh, of because course. of it. So, um, I mean, like, I definitely think there's some some jumps for me coming up uh, pretty soon. But it has just made me take a step back and, and, and wonder, you know, like, What are the benefits and, and, you know, weighing the the positives and the the negatives in it? Because at the end of the day, it's kind of selfish, you know, like it's, it's definitely a selfish, I mean, like you jump off the cliff, you land and it's your experience, you know, like sometimes you can use it to inspire people and, and, you know, you can, and it's definitely a crazy, crazy and amazing uh, human feat to do, to be able to do that, you know, to fly so close to the ground at those speeds down beautiful mountains all over the world, you know, like just so amazing, but fuck man, you die. You fucking die. Yeah. And, and you know, then there's, there's no uh, reserve handle after that.
0: No, no. It's, well, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. And again, I, I look at the, the sport of base jumping definitely as an outsider. Uh, you know, we're uh, akin to it because, uh, as I've been skydiving for as long as I have, but, uh, base jumping is that whole next level for sure. And, and it's it, the prices is, is really high. There's, there's no way around it. I mean I'm 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 glad to see that uh, um you kind of took a step back and of course because of Micah, you're gonna check your handles every time. Oh for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
1: because of Micah, there's a lot of things I'm that's, gonna continue to do. That's fucking um, funny. But yeah. Oh wow. But that's why I mean I love climbing as well, because it gives me that same, you know, type of fear. And it puts me in that same spot, but, you know, there's not, I mean, you still can break legs and you can still die and everything up there, but I just feel a little bit more in my hands, you know, like a little bit more, I don't know.
0: Right. Well, what the, what the fuck is it about fear that it's, is so appealing?
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, like, maybe it's just bred into some of us, like, a you know, like what, what is the, what is the purpose these days for a British bulldog? I own one and I have no idea. I can't, <laughs> I can't figure out why this breed was made you know what i mean but i love him and he's alive and he's doing his thing but dude what's what's the purpose i don't, know, of right. it? I yeah. don't get it maybe some like over, you know, bred to be warriors or bred to, you know, to be this way, to, to not have this fear, or to enjoy the fear, or something to feed off of it. I don't know. It's definitely a vibration, you know, just like a, a love and, you know, type of vibration. So, yeah,
0: who knows? I, I read somewhere a long time ago, uh, something along the lines of the people that uh, seem to be drawn to extreme sports just uh, um, tend to receive the normal world in a much more subdued Way And they need something like skydiving or rock climbing to kind of turn that volume up and feel alive. And I don't know that that's necessarily true for everybody. It is sometimes for me and sometimes not. But um, I definitely know that after a good day of uh, climbing or, or skydiving, it turns the volume down on all the bullshit, which is the big attraction for me. So if you have a scary day jumping or a freaky day climbing, man, that asshole that just cut you off in traffic doesn't bother me a bit.
1: No. And I sleep better. Right. I sleep better, man. Yeah. I, I sleep when I've, you know, almost died on a, a cliff side or I've pushed myself <laughs> to that limit, you know, that night I'm sleeping good. There's <laughs> nothing that's stopping me from sleeping. Oh yeah. I'm I go to sleep. Well, and
0: at a certain point with, uh, with all of that stuff, at some point you had to get to that level where most people would melt down and you had to consciously decide, nope, I need to get through this. I can freak out later. And then, of course, yeah, you're going to sleep like a fucking baby. That's awesome. <laughs> so uh, um, for before we, uh, before we sign off, uh, is there anywhere people can catch up with you? Is there a drop zone you call home now that uh, they should come out if they want to make some fun jumps with Ellis or want to go do some climbing? Where should they go? Um, well, man, I'm, you
1: know, I'm working out in in uh, skydive Hawaii right now and we're mainly just doing tandems and stuff like that. Um, I could be, uh, you know, found in uh, Lake Tahoe soon or, or skydive Chicago. Those are definitely places that I go to, to do fun jumps and, or, or hang out. Um, I don't know, man, what's next for me is it looks like I'll be hanging out maybe in Vegas. If if people want to get a hold of me, they can find me on Instagram though. Uh, Dan Ho Hawaii. And uh, I'm also just recently back on on Facebook, so you can probably find Ellis on there as well.
0: Awesome! So they need to check you out on Instagram and Facebook to kind of keep track of you. What are you going to be doing out in Vegas?
1: Well, Vegas or like Sedona, Arizona, just seems so uh, central to um to Grand Canyon, Moab, you know, um, California, just everything. Red Rocks, uh, Vegas is just such a, a good climbing destination and has so much fun and, and, you know, not necessarily Vegas, but if not Vegas, Sedona, nice. Arizona, just for, I mean, you know, be out in the desert. I'm really fond of the desert. Have you climbed Red Rock before out in Vegas? No, I haven't.
0: Oh I've, dude. I've been there.
1: Recently. I really want to get out there. I'm so Jones. Oh
0: man. The very first climb I ever fucking did was an outdoor climb. Uh, Kevin Love took me on it, put me on this route called Vagabond in uh, what's called black corridor And uh, doesn't bother to tell me uh, what I'm on. Just uh, he climbs it, teaches me how to belay him. So I've never belayed anybody before. So he's crazy because he's letting some fucking knob that's never belayed anybody before put him up the wall. So up the wall he goes. I lower him back down. He puts me up the wall and I get back down and he's laughing at me when I get back down to the ground. And I'm like, what? And he's all, he didn't fall. I'm like, well, no, shit was scary. I wasn't going to fucking let go. He's all, dude, that was like a 510D. The very Yeah, it was either a C or a D, the first fucking route he ever put me on. I'd never climbed anything before, and he's like, I've never seen anybody climb. I'm like, I was terrified. I was not going to let go of that fucking wall. No, you're going to love Dude, there's like, I don't know, a 1,000 pre-bolted sport routes. Uh, just some absolutely fucking epic climbing in Las Vegas. You're going to love it.
1: I cannot wait, dude. I'm jonesing. Well,
0: cool. Well, look, I'm going to tell everybody once again they need to find you on Instagram. What's your Instagram one more time? Uh, Dan Ho, D-A-N-H-O, Hawaii. Dan Ho, Hawaii. Okay, so they can find you there and kind of keep track and back on Facebook as well. And then the big, the big climbs coming up, all the training you're doing and everything, man, I wish you all the best of luck. I hope they're just as epic as you hope they are. Thank you so much, brother. Man, fantastic talking to you again. It was so good to catch up. Don't be such a stranger. We'll talk again soon. Sounds good, brother. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right, brother. Take care. You too, man. Once again, uh, Lunatic Fringe is brought to you in association with Blue Skies Magazine. Blueskiesmag.com. Blueskiesmag.com. Lots of kick ass swag. You can grab t shirts and keychains and previously published uh, magazines and all kinds of cool shit. So you're going to want to go check them out. As far as finding me, uh, you can find me at The Princess Pilot on Instagram. The reason it's The Princess Pilot is because they don't like me saying fucking as much as I do. Uh, also on Facebook, you can find me as, uh, well, I run the fucking pilot page on Facebook, but it's the FN pilot, E-F-F-I-N pilot. Again, they don't like me cussing so much. Uh, With all the fuckins, it's no G at the end of it. And, of course, uh, thefuckingpilot.net. You can pull that up and uh, download this podcast or any of the others. Subscribe to them on iTunes, Podbean, CastBox, and a number of others. Uh, It's been great having you. We'll see you next time around on Lunatic Fringe, Blue Skies.